Well, good evening. Tonight we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1. This is actually part two of Living Like an Exile. I want to welcome everyone here who's listening on our podcast channel and everybody here in person tonight. And the purpose of 2 Peter was to warn the Christians, brothers and sisters, about false teachings and to encourage them to grow in their faith and their knowledge of who Jesus is. And that's what we all want to do, right? We want to grow in our knowledge so we know Christ better. But warnings have many forms, don't they? There's many forms of warnings. There's lights, there's signs, there's sounds, there's smells, there's touches, and there's also written words. I have one up on the screen here. See that? We should be taking that up to Melbourne a little bit more, right? But we do have a train that comes through here. So we want to make sure that when we see these warnings, that we look at them and we adhere to them. Because they have various focuses, but the purpose is all the same. They're there to warn us about something. They're there to warn us, to make sure that we're alert and we're in a notice that there's danger around us. And Peter had learned this lesson as well. And he wants his readers to know this. Because in 1 Peter, what he did is he emphasized the grace of God in 1 Peter. That's what he did. And now in this second letter, he emphasizes the knowledge of God. The word knowledge or know is used about 13 times in this letter. So there's something there that he wants us to know. He wants to encourage believers in the midst of the suffering and persecution because that was going on. It was actually intensifying because the emperor Nero was there. And Peter, he was writing this warning to them about their complacency, that they were not holding on firmly to their faith. Being a living participant in the truth in the sense of which our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ intended it. In John, it says this in John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, growing and maturing in their faith. And that's what we're supposed to do each and every day. We're to grow and mature in our faith. You know, I've heard this saying, if you're not growing, you're dying, right? Have you ever heard that? Well, the actual quote is by William S. Burroughs, and it says this, when you stop growing, you start dying. And if you are uncomfortable, you aren't growing at all. If you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing at all. Because growing is uncomfortable at times, isn't it? And Peter's warning them to be uncomfortable. Don't be complacent about what's going on. He's saying reject all these people who distort the truth about the word of God. And following this advice would ensure that the Christ followers would have a Christ-centered life and a Christ-centered church just like us. And Peter's speaking of the difficulties that have arisen within the church. Imagine that, right? Difficulties from within the church. 
but they were there. This persecution and suffering that was going on. These false teachers were distorting the good news. And the title of tonight's teaching is this, Getting and Keeping the Message Straight. That's the key, getting it and keeping it straight. Because Peter challenges the people and us to be aware of any kinds of false teachings. Before he describes the counterfeits, he will describe what a true believer is. And there's a reason for that. Have you ever, guys ever heard about counterfeit money, how the FBI looks for counterfeit money? Well, how they do that is they look at the real thing. They get to know what the real dollar bill or $100 bill looks like. So when there's counterfeit, they know immediately that's not it. It's the same thing with the Word of God. When we know the truth, then we can stand up against it and say that is not true. We can stand up against the enemy. The best way to detect falsehood is to understand and know the truth. In Ephesians 4.13, it says this, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every kind of wind, teaching, and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful schemings. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So when we know Christ better, when we know who he is, we won't be tossed around. And Peter is what he's going to do tonight. He's going to give us some characteristics of what true faith is is and what it begins with. And as we keep building ourselves up in this unity of our faith within the Spirit of Christ and the knowledge of who God is in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in First, Second Peter verse 1, chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant of the apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith precious as ours. You know, Peter refers to himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Moses, the prophets, John and James, they all referred to themselves as servants of Jesus. And it's true, of course, that to be a servant of Christ, we have to be obedient to Christ. And this kind of obedience was, was a privilege and an honor, and it's a privilege and honor for us today as well. In Peter's opening words, he greets them, and he makes it very clear that he's saying that the Christian life starts with faith. And it's interesting the words that Peter uses because he says it's a precious faith like ours. And it's kind of interesting when you look at Peter and you say, Peter? The fisherman is using words like precious. You'd think he'd be using something else. But he wrote about in 1 Peter, what did he write about? He wrote about the precious blood of Jesus. And he goes on more later on in this second book, and he'll talk about the precious promises of the Lord. 
And this would not be a word that we would think that he would use. But I think it's a great word because it truly describes what this is. It's a perfect choice because it's like beyond all calculation that we can think of because it's so precious. The precious are faith, the blood of Christ, and the promises of God. And this reference that he's talking to is a reference of the teaching of Jesus Christ and the apostles that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Peter is saying that this precious faith is common to all of us. Each and every one of us can have that. Our faith is a very important point right here. And what we believe can neither be selective or subjective at all. The point is, is our belief and our faith is based on truth and authority of Scripture, the Word of God. That's what we base it on, the Word of God. And we all have this faith. And this faith is personal for each and every one of us, isn't it? It's personal. Our faith is personal because it comes in the person of Jesus Christ. It's personal to him. And then it goes on in verse 2, and it says this, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus. Grace and peace. It's easy to understand the emphasis on grace. That's what Peter was talking about in his first book because Peter knew about grace. I have an acronym up there of what grace stands for. It stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. God's favor poured out on undeserving people. And that's what we have. We receive that grace. We know that grace always comes first because if we don't receive the grace of God first, we will never have the peace of God. That peace always follows that grace. And Peter most certainly knew about God's grace, didn't he? I'm sure he never forgot about his experience when Jesus was walking along the shores of Galilee and all of a sudden he called him and said, look, I want you to fish for something else. I want you to fish for something different. I want you to fish for men. In Mark 1:16, it says this, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Or what about the night that Peter was in the boat with, his, with the other disciples, right? And they saw Jesus walking on the water. And then it was Jesus' response. He invited Peter to come out onto the water with him. And Peter, what did he do? He got out of the boat in faith and put his feet on that water. But after a few steps, Peter panicked. He took his eyes off of Jesus and he looked at the storm, he looked at the waves, and he was looking at his circumstances. And what happened? He began to sink. He began to go into the drink. Have you ever started to sink because you've taken your eyes off the Lord? I think we all have, haven't we? In Matthew 14, 31, it says this, Immediately, though, Jesus reached out his hand 
and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Sometimes we can be like that, right? But what's great about that is when we start to sink, Jesus is right there for us. He's reaching out to each and every one of us. And it was then in the grace that Jesus reached out and saved Peter. I want to ask you tonight, do you need to get out of the boat when Jesus calls? Have you ever been in that boat when Jesus calls and, nah, I don't want to. My eyes are on that storm. I don't want to do it. But when we trust in God's promises, keeping our eyes off the storm and on the God of the storm, we remember who God is in our life and we trust him. Do you remember the first time that God called you out into the storm? Was it increasing your faith, your trust? Did you claim the promises of God that he'll never leave you, that he'll never forsake you? I think it was Peter's firsthand experience understanding how God's wonderful grace naturally motivated him to pray for other people and to tell them about the grace of God and how abundant that grace is for each and every one of us. Many believers want that abundant grace of God, don't they? I know I do. I want it. But unfortunately, they're not willing to put forth the time or the effort to get to know God better. There's so many things going on in our lives, I just don't have time to do that. You don't have time not to do that, to be close to God, to experience God in your life. And that God, grace is God's favor that we do not deserve at all. The result of this is experiencing that God's grace is a peace that goes beyond all understanding. It is amazing. And, it's, and it says this in Philippians. Philippians 4, 7, it says this. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace that transcends all understanding will guard us. Don't we all want that in our lives? We want that peace. And that only comes from knowing who God is. If we don't know who God is, we can't have that peace. And we can't have that joy because the victory lies in Jesus Christ alone. It's the power in his blood and the victory that he had on the cross for us. And these people were just ordinary Christians, ordinary people just like us. People who were struggling to be faithful. They were working, they were in their jobs, they were going to school. Does it sound familiar like each and every one of us? Going through our daily lives, that's what happens. Life gets in the way, doesn't it? It gets in the way of our relationship with God and our other relationships as well. But we're called to be devoted to God. We're called to be bright lights shining in a dark world. And they were living in a very rough world as well. 
It's not much different than today except for, I would say, technology, right? They were having a rough time as well as we are. But we have the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ as we have the word of God. And we get to know him better. We study God's word. We pray. And then we enjoy the privilege of, that God freely gives us to be called his children. We're called to be faithfully devoted, to be the lights that shine bright for Christ. In our words, but not only in our words, but especially in our actions, how we live our lives, that people would see Christ in us and through us. Our faith through the knowledge of God and of, our, of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The more knowledge we have of Jesus, the greater understanding you'll have and that you'll understand that God is truly a God of grace. And the older we get, and I can testify to this because the older I get, I grow and learn more about God's grace and about how much I need it each and every day. It's all about that undeserved, unearned favor that God pours out on each and every one of us because of the finished work of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross us. The next point here is this. Jesus is not only our Savior, but he is our Lord as well. Because some of us say, we like the Savior, we want to be saved, but he's the Lord of our lives as well. We like that, but we have to completely surrender to him to make him Lord of our lives. And now immediately following this greeting, he goes on and he tells his readers this. He's going to move on and identify further and write about what Jesus provides for each and every one of us. In verse 3, it says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Peter writes first, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Peter's not saying that he's given us everything we need pertaining to life. He's saying everything we need for a godly life. To live an abundantly filled, glory-filled life that we have everything we need through Christ. He's already given it to us. And right now, we could stop right there, couldn't we? Because we have everything we need in Jesus Christ. And Jesus made this point in John 10.10. 10, he said this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. Or have that abundant life. The important point here is that Jesus indeed has the power to do that. And faith involves God's power. The Holy Spirit in us to increase in us each and every day while we decrease. This kind of power is only made possible so that we can have an abundant life, an energetic life in Christ. And there's nothing weak about a Christian lifestyle. Some people say, oh, the Christian lifestyle is weak. There's nothing weak about the Christian lifestyle because it's the power of the Holy Spirit the power that grows in us, it's from God. 
And when we know Jesus better, we experience that power better because we don't have the resources to be truly holy, do we? We can't. But God allows us to become partakers in his divine nature with Jesus. Next point, it's a life of power because of the Holy Spirit lives in us. That's exactly what it is. And as we grow and we get to know Jesus through our prayers, God's word and worship, being born again helps us to keep from sin and helps us to live for Christ. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. And then in verse 4, he goes on and says this, Though these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Peter writes, through these he has given us these precious promises. Word again, they're so precious. And this is a very brief, but it's so important because our faith involves God's promises to us. It involves his promises. Many of these promises speak of the response to some of our deepest questions and concerns about our faith, don't they? Sometimes we're sad and we're downcast and we're in desperate need of joy. Are you struggling? Are you having a hard time feeling fearful? Within the Bible... The 66 books of the Bible, there are approximately 8,810 promises from God. Receive and claim those promises. I don't know if you've ever seen this book. It's called God's Promises for Every Day. You can get these Hobby Lobby ladies, and if you ever go to Hobby Lobby, they have them there. Grab one of these. This is a great read. Having God's promises at your fingertips every day. It's amazing. And Jesus promises this in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen? We're all going to have trouble, but Jesus has overcome the world. That's amazing. And what's the amazing thing about it is we don't have to live by the explanations of the world, right? We live by the promises of God, by the word of God. Sometimes we hear about these great sports figures, right? They have such great potential or these child prodigies. And people say they show great promise. But the question is, do they live up to that? Do they live up to those expectations? And the same is true for us when it comes to God's promise, when it comes to living a godly life. God also makes these amazing promises to us. And the question is, are we living up to those promises? Because God always lives up to his promises. And Peter's not finished yet. He's saying this, so that you may participate in his divine nature. God allows us to participate with him. He's there with us, and we're participating with him. 
And Jesus and the apostles taught that it takes intervention from God in Jesus Christ so that we can share in this divine nature. The point here is simply this, that Jesus became one with us so that we might become one with him. We participate with him. And Peter also wants them to know that Jesus Christ has the power over corruption. The corruption in this world that comes from sin and evil desires. These false teachers were saying that Christians didn't need to worry about morality. They didn't need to worry about sin because God's grace took care of it. And Peter and Paul spoke forcefully against this false doctrine. And certainly the temptation is ever-present today in our lives, right? We see this through TV, through advertising, through books, through movies, and most certainly through social media. And Peter's making very clear that in Christ, we have the power to overcome all temptations. We have been saved by God's grace to make a difference in this world. The promises that God gives us in his word enable us to develop and grow in a godly life to make a difference. These promises come from a great God to us. Now here's the thing. We're not going to be sinless, right? But we're called to sin less. That's what we're called to do, to sin less. In verse 5, it says this, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and perseverance, godliness, and godliness, mature affection, and mature affection, love. The false teachers were saying that the self-control, there was no need for self-control because it was a work. You don't have to work, right? You don't have to work at that. And it's true, work cannot save us, but it is absolutely false to think that works are unimportant. We are saved so we can grow to be like Christ. And God wants to produce his character in us. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And we're called to use our giftings to do the same thing. But this demands discipline and effort. Faith results in spiritual growth. As we obey, we develop self-control. I've seen people say, well, I couldn't help myself. Because you don't have self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, because you're walking in the flesh. Our actions and our emotions as we walk in the Spirit should always reflect that. We have faith, and Peter says that we're supposed to be that bright, shining light in a dark world. And that's only when Jesus works in us. This perfecting of our love that we're able to grasp the fullness of life for which we were created And Peter says that we're called to strive in our walk with Jesus to make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And he goes on from there. But faith must be more than our belief. It must result in actions and in character and the practice of moral disciplines. In James 2.14, it says this. What good is it? 
my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their spiritual, physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Peter will list several of faith's actions here. And these actions do not come automatically to us, do they? They don't. We have to strive for them. That's why he says that we have to strive for that, making every effort. And here's the thing, they're not an option. These are not an option. These must be a continual part of our life. We don't finish one and then start another. We work all of them together at the same time because God will empower us to do that. And he's given us this responsibility to learn and to grow in who he is. This is kind of like a virtual ladder, right? A virtual ladder leading up to the ultimate, which is love. I always think about back in the 70s. I'm a child of the 70s. And when I think about I thought about this because it's like it's this stair step. And I thought, well, that's kind of like the stairway to heaven, right? Kind of as we go up that stairs, we're going up the stairway. The more we know about Christ, the more we share with him, the more we participate with him. And what a great thing that is. As a Christ follower, we're supposed to glorify God because we have God's nature in us, each and every one of us. And verse 8 says this, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them in is nearsighted and blind, forgetting what they have been cleansed from their past sins. Our faith must go beyond what we believe. If you are unfruitful spiritually and you're going through a dry season in your walk, the Holy Spirit is inspiring Peter and he's telling us to start working on these things. Start taking these steps going up. Our faith must be a dynamic part of our lives, resulting in good fruit and spiritual maturity for each and every one of us. Salvation does not depend on good works. We know that. But it is a result in good works, producing fruit for the kingdom of God. In John 15, 5, it says this. this is one of my favorite verses. Cindy put this on our house, our old house. She painted it on the walls. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We'll bear fruit, much fruit, and more fruit when we remain in Christ. But apart from him, we can do nothing. The degree to which you apply these qualities to your life is up to you on how fruitful you want to be for the kingdom of God. But to remain in Christ, 
so that we can be fruitful, to have a productive life, and know who Jesus Christ is. It's a spiritual growth that brings practical results in our life. And Peter gives us this evidence of true spiritual growth is first is our fruitfulness. Are we being fruitful for the kingdom of God? The more we become like Christ and the Holy Spirit can use us to witness in our service for the Lord, or are we just being idle, not doing anything, not growing, being unfruitful? The knowledge of Christ is not producing anything practical in our lives. A challenging idea jumps out from this verse. It's very simple this. It's possible for a Christian to be fully equipped for a meaningful life, to be like Christ, and yet squander that opportunity. It's possible instead to choose to be ineffective and unproductive with our gifts. And I think this is a sobering thought. This would be something like realizing that you had a superpower all this time and you didn't use it at all. You weren't able to use it. It would be disastrous to leave these things behind. You know, I've always thought about when I get to heaven and somewhere I've got this picture of all these gifts lined up in heaven. And asking, what are those gifts? Those are the gifts that you didn't use. Those are the gifts that you didn't open. And I don't want that to happen to any of us. I don't want us to be unproductive Christians. I want us to open the gifts that God has given each and every one of us and use them for his glory. Peter says that seeking these qualities that he's listed... They will help us grow in Christ. And that we will become effective and productive Christ followers for the kingdom of our Lord and Savior. And this is just isn't going to happen while we're sleeping or we're not paying attention. Peter commanded, he said this, that we need to work at it and make every effort to add these qualities alongside the faith that we possess. Believing is not enough. If you have truly know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you'll be growing in godliness. You'll be seeking him and you'll want to be fruitful serving him. Not being nearsighted and blind, as he said. That we would have vision for our Lord and Savior and this is especially true in our spiritual life. And now Peter talks about our assurance and our security in the last verse. It says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter stresses these virtues in our relationship with God. Peter wants to rouse up these complacent believers who have been listening to these false teachers. He's saying, make every effort. Be diligent. Use extreme effort confirming your calling that you have. 
what we do is we trust the Lord. Paul spells it out for us with this promise. In Philippians 1.6, it says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Along with that promise, Paul elaborated on this by saying that their work, they should work out their salvation. Show their actions that they've been saved. Show by their faith, by the things they do. In other words, we can't be saved and just sit back and relax. The Christ follower who is sure of who he is and his calling will not stumble. We will not be perfect either because we're not perfect. Because we know who we are and we know where we're going. And if we're growing and maturing in our faith in Christ, it will take effort. We have to work at it. But we need to do this. We need to have a consistent life of faith as a child of God. We will not always be on the mountaintop, right? But we will always be climbing higher growing to be more like Christ each and every day. And what we look forward to is to receive that rich welcome into our eternal home. Just think of the blessings that growing Christians enjoy. Fruitfulness, vision, security, and heaven. And most of all, when we think about heaven, I've said it before, because heaven's not the prize, Jesus is the prize. But the Christian life begins with faith. But faith must lead to spiritual growth. And faith leads to grow so that we have practical results in our life. We lead a kind of godly lifestyle. We get to experience God. And we won't fall prey to false teachers. We won't be blown back and forth. We will never stumble and we won't fall because we are victorious in Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, tonight, we want to know you better. We want to lift up the name of Jesus and we want to know who you are in our lives. And Father, I just ask that you would just help us to be more aware of your presence. Give us the guidance and direction that we need. And Father, I just ask that, that you're, you would just bless us, watch over us, and keep us safe. Father, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.